Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Ross Kemp. Over the last 18 years, I've made some 90-odd documentaries predominantly in hostile environments, from Afghanistan to Syria, from El Salvador to the Congo. And it's fair to say that during that time, I found myself in a few interesting situations. I've been shot at, tear-gassed, had knives pulled on me, and spears thrown at me. But in all those years, what's impressed me the most is the resilience of the human spirit. Our ability, no matter where we're from, to overcome and make it through to the other side. So, in my new series, The Kempcast, I'll be talking to some incredible individuals who all have engaging stories to tell and have themselves overcome some extremely tough moments in their lives. Right now, we're living in unprecedented times and we should be doing all we can together to get through this as safely as possible. I hope that if you subscribe to the Kempcast and hear how my guests overcame their toughest moments, it may help you overcome yours, whether you're going through one right now or you're faced with one in the future. Joining me today is former professional footballer Micah Richards. Coming up through Manchester City's Youth Academy, he went on to make 245 appearances, helping the club win their first league title in 44 years. He's also England's youngest ever defender, but retired early from the game last year whilst playing for Aston Villa due to a persistent knee injury. He's now a popular pundit for the BBC and Sky Sports. Please enjoy the show. Mike, how are you, man? I'm all right. How are you? I'm all right. I feel old today. I may not look it, but I feel old. One of those days, there's too much hassle, lockdown. <laughs> how has lockdown been for you? You know, lockdown, it's been tough because um, I, moved, I moved from Leeds to Manchester when I was 14. And ever since I've been in Manchester, it's all been go. You know what I mean? No matter what I've been doing, you rarely get a day off, you know, just because you're in the zone, you want to get to where you want to get to. And then this happens, you don't know what to do with yourself. Luckily, I've got a son who's uh, just turned three. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and he, well, he's keeping me entertained. Let's just say that. It's hard work, but it's good because I get to do the things that maybe I wouldn't get to do if I was out working, you know, like putting him to bed or waking up in the morning, doing his, his breakfast, that sort of thing. So it's, it's been nice in that sense. I'm pulling my hair out in, in other sense, to be honest. Well, at least you got some hair to pull out then, mate. <laughs> um, you got your boy. Is that a big moment in your life, becoming a dad? Of course it is. You know what? 
if I'm being totally honest, I didn't want kids until I, I after I played football, just because of, you know, our, our schedule is so demanding that you don't really, well, you have time for kids, but the way I always wanted it is that you could share all the special moments. And once you're a footballer, if it's birthdays, if it's Christmas, and all these uh, people that get to have up, and I'm not using that as an excuse for people that I'd give it all up to be a footballer. I'm not saying that, but it's nice to be able to enjoy them, um, the moments with your family. I've not done that since when I retired from, I've had one Christmas really off since I made my debut in 2005. And that was when I played in, uh, in Italy because they have the Christmas break. And that was my first Christmas off in that many years. And it was just, it was crazy. So, um, I mean, I'm enjoying. I mean, I'm enjoying it. Um, it's it's different. It, it's it's hard to adjust to a new form of life. But yeah, I'm just trying to take everything in my in my stride. Yeah, I think you you probably have done that in your life, haven't you? Um, you know, you, you talk about being a dad, but you've got a a particularly close relationship with your dad, haven't you? How influential was he in terms of you becoming the man that you've become? He 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 was massive. You know, without my dad, I don't know. We all we all say it, don't we? Without my dad, I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be nothing. But without my dad, I he just kept my feet on the ground, especially. And I'm not putting my area down where I'm from in Chapel Town, which we'll speak about later. But not many of my friends had their dad around. You know what I mean? Um, and you could see with them, it really affected them. It really did affect them but they didn't want to show it because they didn't want to show sort of the weakness. Whereas I could go home and if I needed a clip round the ear, my dad would give me it. If I needed some advice, my dad would give me it. He, he taught me um, the value of, of, of money as well because the area we come from is not, is not the, the best place. You don't get many opportunities. But that's what it is. And he just said, if you get a chance, make sure you take it, you know there's in the area I'm from you know chances are far and few between so if you do get a chance why would you waste it and he installed at me from when I was a young boy and I just remember every time I was gonna step out of line I just remember like my dad's he just had this voice in my in this side of my head just in my ear just like all right you you can do that but you know make sure you know what your dad's gonna say to you and I just had this throughout my my youth career and um, going forward, it just stayed with me from yeah up until now, really. But you, you remember growing up in Chapel Town. I mean, what what were, what can you remember of it? Because you did go to Manchester when you were quite young. What can you remember of being in that part of Leeds at that time? Yeah, so I was I went to Manchester at fourteen. It was like three times a week. Then fifteen, then fully it was sixteen. But Man, uh, Chapel Town for me, in terms of a childhood, it was brilliant. I loved it, like because that's all I knew. That's is all I knew. Like we, you know, we we had we had great times. We got big family, so we really enjoyed it. We didn't have no trouble. But as the older I got, I realized like this is not the normal way to live. And that's no disrespect to people living there. That's just the in Chapel Town because the chance you don't get too many chances. You're sort of living in a bubble, and you don't. You don't think you can get out of that bubble. And if anyone gets out of that bubble, then 
like you have your own people from you know that you've you've grown up with you then become become jealous. I remember when I was I was think I was fourteen years old and there was a load of drugs, uh, there were guns, but one of the most horrific moments of my life is seeing someone get beat up with a hammer right in front of my face. But like you know, like you think, oh, someone hit someone with a hammer, but he's on the ground and he's continuing, continuously hit him with a hammer, like, but keep going. And the guy's screaming on the floor. And I seen him at 13, 14 years of age. And it, it, it scarred me a little bit. You know what I mean? That, that was the moment in my head that I just thought, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't live around people who think this is acceptable. You know what I mean? Whatever the guy did uh, to, to, to get that, I, I don't know. You know what I mean? I'm not saying what he did was just, you know, but at the end of the day, no matter what happened, to see that when there's kids playing on the street, someone getting beat up with a hammer, honestly, it's it traumatising, it really was. And, Micah, at that time, did you know just how good you were a footballer? Did you know that you possibly had an avenue out of that lifestyle in that way? Yeah, well, you know, my mum my and dad have always worked. My mum was a social worker. My dad was an electrician. So we had a decent enough salaries to get what we needed, if you know what I mean. But to actually get out of what we was in, I sort of put in the back of my mind and said, actually, I'm as good as what there is around my age. But there's so many better players than me who have, who have not made it. But it was just about mindset. It was about, well, I'm going to make sure I work twice. You know how people say it's cliche. I'm going to make sure you work twice as hard. But at that moment, it was like, if I'm as good as you, I'm going to be better than you because I'm going to work harder than you. And that's the mentality I had from that moment then. It was just, I, I've never even spoken to anyone about that, to be honest. But, like, I think now's the time to, you know, let it out, you know what I mean? Because of, we're addressing some, some issues. And I don't, I don't like, it's a, when I think about that moment, it's horrible, you know what I mean? It's a, it was a horrible moment. And, um, I just used it as, you know, as fuel to, to get me out. And so in answer to your question, for sure, I just, I didn't know if I was going to be and go and play the Premier League, but I knew that I was as good as everyone in my age, then I'd work as hard to, to give myself the best possible opportunity. Did you ever foresee at that point that you would, you know, win a Premiership, win an FA Cup, and be the youngest defender ever to play for your country? No, I, I never, you know what, my career was such a weird career. You said, you know, a lot of people who are, who are listening don't know too much about football because I moved to Manchester at 14, 15, 16. Then I was playing for the first team at 17 for Manchester City. And then I was playing for England at 18. So from that traumatising moment, four years later, I'm playing for England. So it was like, it was, it was just weird. I didn't, I didn't foresee that was going to happen. Never in a million years did I think that was going to happen. And, you know, I, I did get a little bit, let's say, complacent. I'm not, I, I, I struggled a lot with injuries, but it all came too soon. And it's more like, I've made it now. You know what I mean? And maybe I stopped doing the things that got me there uh, once I'd, I'd, I'd played for England, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, th th that age, I mean, there's something I'd like to talk to you about, particularly now that, you know, you've moved into the area of punditry um, and you're seeing it from a different side. Do you think 
kids are made to play football, too much football, too young in this country? 100%, Lee, that is 100%. You know, it's not necessarily too much. It's too competitive. If you see the, the parents on the sidelines, um, before, when I, when I was playing, it's just, it, was, it was about enjoying the game. Now it's just how good you are. You see all these things on social media, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, or my son's going to be the next this, next that. They're out training or playing every single day. By the time they get to, to my age, I, I started at 17. I was, I was finished by I was 31. Yeah, I had problems with my knee, but, you know, you're not getting a chance just to be a kid. Everything is just too much pressure from a young age. It's, it's, it, and, the, you know, when the people go out and think, oh, I'm training to be the best, like, people get it sort of, I don't know, the process wrong. Training and being the best is, is totally fine. But then putting your body through so many games at a young age, by the time you get to my age, your body is, is broken down. It is it is broken down. But you're still growing, aren't you? Physically and mentally, at the age that you were playing nearly proper men's competitive football, you still weren't fully developed as a, as, as a human being. You were still in the growing process, surely. Yeah, that, that was the problem. I was playing for the academy football on maybe a Saturday. Then I was playing reserves on a Tuesday. And then because I'd done so well in the reserves, and if someone got injured in the first team, I'd just get throw, thrown in. And I was playing three games a week at 17, 16, 17 years of age. Um, bang, and, and if anyone see me play, not everyone, like you said, will, will know about football. But if anyone see me play, I play with intensity and I love a tackle. So I don't feel like I've played well unless, you know, I've, I've really uh, been aggressive and used my, my physical um, body to, you know. That was, part of what, that's, that, that was part of what defined you as a player, was that you were a physical player. And that's what you need to be in the position that you, you, play, you were famous for playing in, or still are famous for playing in, excuse me. But that's not where you started, was it? No, that's not where I started. I was a striker. <laughs> <laughs> we, all, we all know, listen, we all start as strikers, don't we? We all know. I, I remember I was playing when I was through the through like the younger stages. I was I got released from Leeds at ten as a striker. How did that feel? How did that feel? Yeah, you know you know what? I think it's hard, you know, when you're young, it's more just embarrassing than anything. Because one minute you're training with, you know, top players, the next minute I had to drop down a level, it was called League City Boys, and I went from like one of the average players at Leeds to being the best player. So then I spent six months moaning about being released, but then actually I become the best player and I was scoring goals left, right and centre. So it was nice. But if I didn't have that, it would have been difficult because you know what it's like, you know, to get that rejection so young, young of age, you know, again, we talk about pressure beforehand. Like I'm having to deal with getting released at 10 years, 10 years of age, you know what I mean? It's like writing some. It's writing a child off, isn't it? I mean, the only I can compare it to, and it's no way is it in the same stratosphere of of playing for you know a first division football team, Premier League team. Was you know in acting, people just basically say, "No, we don't want you," and it doesn't matter whether you're ten or whether you're thirty, forty, or fifty. Still going to hurt the ego somewhat, isn't it? But even more so at 10, because also there's all that added pressure. All the, all the kids at school, all the kids in the area know you've got the Leeds tracksuit, you've got, you know, the Adidas boots, and, you know, you've got the bag. You know, 
he's you know Mike is going to be something big man and all of a sudden bye that's what it felt like it just like everything had just came crashing down you know what I mean and it's just like even people it's one of those where your friends ask you oh so how was training at Leeds today and you just end up saying oh yeah it was alright <laughs> <laughs> You end up becoming like being in denial, don't you? Almost, it's like actually, like let let's see how long I can keep this going. But that again, Mike, is 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 telling me that this being a professional footballer isn't just about being strong of body. You have to be very very strong of mind, don't you, to deal with that kind of rejection? Yeah, that that's a, that's a difficult thing for footballers that people don't realise. I think everyone sees the glitz and the glamour, and a lot of people would give up what they have to be a footballer, but there's so much that goes in behind the scenes. Like being a footballer is actually quite lonely. Um, you're down, you don't know who to trust, you know. Um, you just, you feel like you're on top of the world one day if you played well, but then if you play bad, you've got everyone on, on Twitter saying bad things about you and you might not want to sort of read it, but you might just come across it somewhere. So you have to be, the best players, obviously, are best at football, but ment- the mental side of the game, for me, it's the mentally strong ones. Just like I said, there's been players who have been better than me at a younger age, but mentally, they, they couldn't deal with it. I had a, one of my best friends, he, he was at Leeds, he got released, but he was at Leeds till 15, 16. Sheffield Wednesday wanted him, but he just, he just he, he couldn't deal with the pressure of being rejected, you know what I mean? Especially at 15, 16 years, you know, your body's growing. You're trying to be, you know, you're becoming a man. Uh, you know, you, everything's changing. And he was like, I, I, can't deal, I can't deal with that pressure. And a lot of people don't see that side. You know, all these fans who are giving people stick on the side and saying, is this that? As soon as someone in their family is a player or connected into sports in some way, then or they become protective then, you know what I mean? And, and I think a lot of people don't understand what it actually takes to be a footballer day in and day out. You know, as you say, you had a kind of meteoric rise, you know, from, from like over four or five years. You were playing for England in the, in the senior side. And what's, what's the best thing? I've got, I mean, we could gloss over them. We're not going to. You've won an FA Cup. You've won the Premier League. And you are a record holder. You're the youngest ever defender to play for England. What of all those three things, what was the best thing in terms of attaining it, or is there one best thing out of those three? Yeah, you, you know, people ask me this all the time. I think I'm sorry, I'm not very original, mate. I'll work on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to know because I've been, I'm never going to do any of those three things, that's for sure, right? So, so what's the what, what gave you the, the biggest joy, the biggest buzz? You know what? It's, it's difficult because when you put on the the the, the free lines for, for England, and especially how we've talked about where I've come from, that was that moment. It just it didn't feel real. That moment, you know what I mean? It didn't it didn't feel real. Like so, that was probably my proudest moment. Putting on that the, the free line in England to to represent England at, at any level is just incredible. And to be actually starting for England, you know, when you're looking back at it, sometimes when, you, when you're doing stuff, you're just going through the motions. You don't really look back at things. You're just like, oh, yeah, I played for England. But then actually when you're looking back at the time that I did it and 
um, youngest ever defender. It's brilliant. But I think the best is winning the Premier League. FA Cup was great because Manchester City hadn't won a trophy for 30 years. Uh, and we was going to be the first ones to do that. But FA Cup is brilliant. It's something I've looked up as a boy. Amazing. But it's like there's, there's lesser teams that have won the FA Cup. To win the Premier League, you've got to be consistent for 38 games up against Man United, which we all know, Sir Alex Ferguson, Arsenal, who had Arsene Wenger, one of the best, two of the best managers, not just in England, in the world. And for Mancini, who was, man uh, who was the manager of Man City at the time, to go up against them and bring that home and consistency of 38 games, that was my, my best achievement by far. Did you celebrate? <laughs> <laughs> Did I celebrate? I'm still celebrating now. Every time I'm on the, uh, on the, uh, I'm doing the punditry now, man. I'm always mentioning it. That's my little, <laughs> little go-to. <laughs> Why not, mate? Why that's not? my little go-to. You've got, have you got your, your trophy cabinet? Have you? Which, which is, yeah, I is, have. Is the winners medal? Is the winners medal there, or is the is the league medal? Does that sit, or does it the caps? I kept, I, kept it. I, I brought it in here. I Mate, don't love really it. Keep, um, my dad keeps all my uh, medals and stuff. He's kept my trophies throughout throughout my career. So uh, he, I only got that because he's, he's away at the moment. But yeah, we'll, we'll take that back as, <laughs> as soon as he as soon as he comes back. But yeah, he looks after him and he keeps everything safe. So is he yeah. still keep? Is he still keeping an eye over you, Mike? You know what? He sort of let me spread my wings now because he knows I'm sensible. There was times you, you know, you asked me a, a question earlier. How did I keep my sort of feet on the ground? And I sort of not skipped past it, but I just, when I was younger, I was, I was still living like I was just a normal everyday bloke. You know, I made some, some major mistakes when I was younger. I was still going out. Like I'd play for England and Manchester City. And I'd be going out like it's not, and you're not to drink, you're not to drink, you're not enough run with that. But I was partying like an 18, 19 year old, you know what I mean? And you just, you forget that actually, no, once you play for England, people are seeing you in a different light now. You've got to, you know, there's people looking up to you. You can't be seen coming out of clubs and, and getting drunk. And, and that was a bit that I found hard. Like I didn't really have, um, a proper, you know, like everyone wants to go to university and then, you know, do do all that sort of thing. But I sort of got fast tracked. I was playing with men at 14, 15 when I was training. What was that like? What's that? What's that like though? What is that like? You've got, you know, you're coming up against some of the famous, some of the biggest, and there you are, you know, effectively still a kid. What kind of pressure is that again on you? You know what it is? Because I backed my ability, I didn't actually think about that so much because Manchester City I know a lot of people know Manchester City now as uh, Premier League winners and FA Cup winners and great squad lot of money to spend but when I first came through to Manchester City we was um, an average Premier League side so I looked what was ahead of me and it was Richard Dunn and Sylvan Distan who was two top centre-backs uh, for Manchester City Danny Mills um, was playing right back, but he, he played for England, but he was injured. And then there was only like me and another young lad 
uh, in the right back stroke centre back position. So I thought, hold on, like if that's where I need to get to, I can get there quick. So when I was training with these guys, I had no fear. I was just, I might, I, I backed my ability because I was like, if this is what it takes to to get to the top, then I can get there. That's when I started really asking me. When did I realise? That's when I started realising at 15, 16, when I was training with the first team, not played there, but training with the first team. If this was good enough to play the Premier League, I was like, I'm not, I'm not far off. That was the the the, the moment I realised I wasn't far off. Did you have anybody at the club that was saying, look, Micah, don't go out on Saturday nights. Stay in, mate. Just stay in one Saturday night. I mean, because you feel invincible at that age, don't you? And and, yeah. and, and no one is invincible. Yeah, exactly that. I had, I, I, when I was training, just no fear. I was just like, no fear. And I was backing up by reserve team performances, which if you didn't play for the first team, you dropped down to the reserves. But luckily for me, I had Stuart Pearce. And everyone knows Stuart Pearce. He's, he's not just a legend. He's England. He's a, he's a legend. Everyone knows Stuart Pearce. And he'd, he'd been there, done it. You said, you said he demanded 100% and he was always brutally honest. How honest was he? He was brutally honest. Like, he was, he, he was just... If you played... I don't know if I can swear on you or not. Mate, feel free. <laughs> he would come in at half-time and... Some of the things that he would say, you just wouldn't think. Would he go personal down the line of the 11 players going, you're shit, you're shit, you're really extra shit, you're shit. <laughs> would he do it like yeah, that? He would actually do, you know, he would, he would he, if you liked you, you was all right. If you played bad, you know, if you played bad, but he liked you, you're all right, but he would pick on, Someone who he don't no, he wouldn't he wouldn't pick on someone. Let's say anyone who he didn't particularly like, who had a bad game, he would just call them out. Your shit! What are you doing here? What are you, no, no, what, how are you on this sort of money? Blah, blah, blah. It was just it was brilliant. It was brutal, honest. Because the first thing that someone says when you play bad for a footballer, how are you on this sort of money? That's the first thing. How is he getting we're coming paid this to that. week? Yeah, we're coming to that. <laughs> But, but, but what I think what he, what I think you get from Stuart Pearce is what he gave I think on the pitch, which was a hundred percent. You may not be the most talented necessarily, but if you give all of yourself, then I will respect you. Is that the way it was? That's exactly that. I owe a more a serious note for a manager to give me a chance at seventeen, like seventeen in the Premier League, and not just to like put me in for one or two games. He said, you go in there and it's your place to lose. So imagine how I'm feeling to him. I'm thinking, I will run through brick walls for you. I, I will literally, you tell me to do something and I will do it and I will not let you down. And I didn't let him down like I do. He, 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 he loved me and I loved him. There's games where I didn't play as good as I could have done, but that wasn't for, for not trying. And I think he, he, he realised that because... He never, he never said anything bad to me. If I wasn't working hard enough in training, or, you know, we have a little pre-season, so everyone doesn't know about pre-season, but pre-season is horrible. I know you've been, you've done what you've done and you've been to some horrible, but pre-season, that's the only thing oh, I don't miss about football. It's horrible. The pain. The pain. That's, oh, the pain. It's, I, I love pain if I can get through it, but 
I'm quite a big lad, so you know all the 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 smaller the whippersnappers, you know, yeah, with the you know us at the back trying to carry all this weight around. It's difficult. It is difficult. Um, so I used to hate preseason. Was I'm it really pu- was it pu- was it pukey? Was it was it literally? Yeah, it was pukey. It was it was pukey every, every single time. It was no it, it, managers used to say back then. If you've not puked, you've not run far enough. And, and I think that's the thing about people who don't understand football. The, the pace, particularly of the Premier League, is faster than any other league in the world, would you say? Yeah, I, I, I played in Italy for a while, but the Premier League is brutal. And it's just, you come out after the game and you're like, you, feel, oh, you feel fine and then, Eight, nine o'clock in the night, you just feel like bruised. Oh, where's this come from? Or where's that come from? And then some some managers, some coaches like to do like the warm down the next day where you go for a jog and just like you're supposed to relax the muscles, loosen up the muscles a little bit. But it, it just it just was worse for me. I just used to feel stiffer from doing that. You know what I mean? Was that partly because of the way that you played? Yeah, but I think yeah, it was partly but you know, I think for me, because my muscles, because my muscles are bigger than, than most people, I take longer to recover, but I'm still getting treated as someone who's eight, nine stone. You know what I mean? And I'm 13, 14, 15 stone. Like, how am I supposed to recover in the same time that he is? It's just not going to happen. That's just, that's just simple maths, really. But we all get treated the same, you know what I mean? What about, one question I have to ask you, about the team, the team, team ethos. Is it difficult to be in a team, particularly when you're playing at the top, when there's so much money involved, you know, when they may be signing someone in that transfer window's coming up, or I've got to have a good day, game now, you know, do I, do I square that ball or do I attempt to get it in the back of the net? Because if I do, I've got a better chance of being selected next week. And, and, and does that, because it is, a, is it 11 individuals playing or is it a team playing? Or is it somewhere in between that? You know what? I would like I would like to say it was a team. I would like, I would honestly like to say, and maybe it has been, but now it's individuals. The what I see anyway. Definitely what it's it's everyone's everyone's more concerned, especially if you look at England. I can speak from from my point of view, that England didn't do so well because Everyone was was scared to make a mistake and everyone would play within themselves. Do you know what I mean? So instead of playing the best players for the team, they'd just play the best players, you know, best names, should I say, and everyone would play within within themselves and I'm not going to be the one to do that back pass. Yes. That's and, and, and that's that's what it is. I think with certain top teams. It is a team, of course. It is the way they play it. I mean, I've got a team, but I think nowadays there's a lot of people who are just out for themselves on what they can do with their career, how many goals they can score. Like you said, if he squares it, you know, I need to score a goal. I need to be on this month because if I want to leave this club. And I think clubs, to an extent, have made it like that because any team who gets big investment you're always looking for different players in different spots. So you're not thinking about your team, are you? You're thinking about, I need to play well, like you said, to keep my position in, in this team. And that becomes pressure. And that becomes like, 
you, you see, you know, Ronaldo, Ronaldo, a lot, a lot goes on about how he's a selfish player. He's selfish because he needs to be selfish to sustain his Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo image and he performs week in, week after week. You think, no disrespect, you think he cares about what his left back or right back doing. He's, get the ball to me and I'll score the goals, you know what I mean? That, that's how it is. And that's how it, to me, it's definitely more individual in nowadays. So let's, let's team off ethos and that's partly because of the money and the paranoia that that money has brought into the games for those individual players. Exactly, exactly that. If, you've got, if, you, if you're an owner, and you can bring pretty much any player to the team you want. Say if you've got a job and you get signed by a big company and you've got someone and they might have a friend of a friend or whatever and they want to replace you. They might not even be as good at that. Just, just because money, you're always looking for the next best thing, aren't you? No matter what, you always, no matter how good they are, what are you, you're always looking, oh, well, actually, let's look at this. Let's look at that. And sometimes you can spoil the, the balance and the rhythm of the team by doing it. But at the end of the day, it's one of them, them games where a lot of people are saying there's no loyalty in football no more. A, a lot of that going out the window because it's become very, not just from the players, but from the clubs as well. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Oh, we, the, the other thing that you just mentioned, Joe, I think I really would like to talk about is just the money in the game. And, and you saw... A lot of that. I mean, I, 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 what was it? The King Bling and all that thing. But moving, move, move, that, move away from that. Let's just talk about the money. You know, there's never been so much money in football. Do you think it's reached a zenith or do you think it will just keep going up? I think with, with this pandemic that's happened, I think especially in the lower leagues, so the, there's got to be something that happens to stop the money coming in the game. In the higher leagues, if I'm being totally honest, I don't think it'll affect it. I really, I think it'll keep going and going and going because football, it, it's it's massive. Like people talk about football in a like without football, people are saying they don't they don't know what to do with themselves. Do you know what I mean? 
and, pe- and people will keep keep buying it. You know, there's all different ways that you know you can buy it on. You know, whether it's streaming something, whether it's um, BT, Sky, BBC. Like, look how many games there is, and everyone's just like, "Oh, I feel all right now." The football's back. So, I think in terms of sport in this country and the Premier League itself, it's such a beast that it outweighs anything else especially in this country that the people want to see so the top league I think it was the, like you said the, the more you know when I was coming through I think the average wage was about 20 25 grand a week which is absolutely amazing amazing but that was in 2005 now the average wage just for a normal club is about 50 60 grand by the, and the top teams they're averaging 100 to 150 grand a week, averaging, not not top or bottom, averaging. All right, just let me let my brain kind of try to digest that. <laughs> but, so I just say, I mean, and we know that Messi, for instance, is probably on over half a million. That's before Adidas step in and Coca-Cola or whoever it may be. So, you know, there are, so 100 grand, really, in comparison to some other players in other countries, you, you're only getting to lick the lid off the top of the yogurt. You're not even to get your spoon. In. <laughs> you know what I mean? So... Can you spend it? I mean, literally, if you're Lionel Messi, can you spend that? Well, you can always spend yeah. anything. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> yes, you can. Because I did, I did think about that well, before we had the interview, and I was thinking, well, do you know what? Just say you've got your own yacht, right? And that costs 10 million, 15, 20. You're losing 30% of that probably every year in upkeep and depreciation. And it's true, isn't it? You could bankrupt yourself. And you said that. I remember you, I read, I read that today. You said that some of the young footballers were sort of under so much pressure to be one of the boys to show that I can flash the cash that they were bankrupting themselves. It really was. I think there needs to be something put in place for young footballers nowadays who, who the, the, you know what? It's, it's, so, it's such a difficult one because... There's been so many people who have, have tried to be smart with their money and let financial advisors look after their money and they'll say, well, we've got a plan for 10 years. You put X amount in here. After 10 years, your career, average uh, time for a career, you'll have so much. But when that so much has come to, oh, actually, we invested it in the wrong thing, for instance, a film scheme or whatever it may be, and then... The tax man has said, well, hold on. You've not been invested in the right places. You owe us X amount tax. All that money that you saved has gone. So I think it's so difficult. It, people are reluctant to use financial advisors. My parents are from Chapel Town. They've done okay for themselves. Well, not all done okay. They've worked for themselves. They spent all the money on, like, my, my brothers and sisters. They didn't, have, didn't have no money. But how can I then trust my dad to look after money that he's never seen in his, in his life either. And a lot of these footballers come from unprivileged backgrounds who have not been taught how to manage their money. Then that's when the agent gets involved. Oh, you put your money here. There's agents who've got car companies. Oh, we'll get you a car, get the car, they earn um, the, the money on the car and then they do the finance. Comes to hope, uh, you know, rewind a bit. They've got um, shares in, in, in the... Uh, in the um, the car companies, then they go get a house. They're doing a backhander deal with with the property developer. It, it, it goes on 
and on and on. And these are supposed to people who you can trust. And it goes on more than you think. Like, I, there is great agents out there. There really is. But the majority of them that I've come across, I can only talk from personal experiences that some of the, the agents out there, that they're really not doing a good job for their clients. And, and also, you've got the, as you say, particularly if you reach the dizzy heights of the man cities of the world, you don't know from game to game whether you're going to break your leg, and that could all be over, couldn't it, very, very quickly? The only, the only good thing, well, not say only good thing because you don't want to break your leg, but now I think the clubs are insuring the players, and when they take out contract, you have to take out some sort of insurance. So if you break your leg, if you had a... So I had, I've got a, a story, I had a career-ended insurance. So my knee, uh, I had wear and tear in my knee meniscus, and then I had career in insurance. So I tried to claim on my insurance when I was 30 at the end of my career. I spoke to my doctor where I was at and I said, I'm looking to claim on my insurance. I can't play no more. And he was like, well, you probably can play, but it's not, it's not a total write off your knee. You probably can do some form of activity. But I was like, I can't play to the level of playing a game a week or two games a week. So surely I'm allowed to claim and then it, it, it went some hoops and this, that, and the other, and then it came on the, in the in the small print, uh, print of the contract. It was down as wear and tear. So then you can't you can't claim. So I was like, well, what's I've been playing career-ending insurance since I was seventeen. As soon as I stepped on that field, all that money, because it was wear and tear, I couldn't claim. It was it was absolutely ridiculous and if, if I didn't look after my money the right way I, I should like I, I might have been struggling now I know there's players out there who've got big mortgages expect to pay to 35 36 and this that and the other and they've had to retire expect you know and they've not sorted them out self out like off the field and what they need to do and they'd be struggling do you know what I mean because you sort of you're in this false sense of security that the money's always going to come but I've seen that in my own in my own profession, and have been guilty of it as well. You sort of you earn a lot, well, not not in the hundred grand a week, but you earn a certain amount of money, and you live according to that lifestyle because you just think that that's going to always happen. But things happen in life to derail that, and all of a sudden you've either got to, you know pull your belt in, or you're going to go bankrupt. And also yeah. people, and also did you feel like? Um, a sort of pressure as well. I mean, pressure all round. I mean, as soon as you start, you know, being at the level that you were, you know, you you are known by everybody virtually, or they think they know you in the country. You're playing for England, you know, you're playing for City. And you said to me earlier, you know, and that's when I sort of sort of started becoming complacent. I think not at the same level, but I think that's that's in human nature. I think that's happened to me over the years. Because you go, well, I've done it now, but no, you haven't actually started. And exactly also, that. You're not going to stay there very long unless you put the hours in. Exactly that. I think for, for, for me, I got carried away. Like I changed my car every, every probably six months, every year, just like getting the, the, the next best thing. And like, although that didn't affect me on the pitch, sometimes it's not as well to say stereotype or it's perception of, of, of the way people view you. You know what I mean? And, like I give people too much, um, too much opportunities to question me, and it's not even that I maybe took my foot off the gas. I just I give people too much. If I would have knew what I knew now, 
I would, and, and we all can say that, can't we? You know, especially coming out the game, I was only young, but I, if I just knew what I knew now, then I, I might not have lasted longer in the game because of my knee, but things would have been a, a lot different in the way I would have handled myself, let's say. Or, yeah, I, I wasn't like a wild child or anything like that, but just I know how to manoeuvre now without people passing judgment, you know what I mean? And not, not that they should already, I just, I just know how to move now. When, when I was younger, I didn't. You know, so the, the King of Bling thing, do you think that that would have been labelled at you had you been a white footballer? Um... No, no, not no. I don't think they would because when I was coming through, I don't. Yeah, I don't, it, 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 white white people wasn't really um, considered blingy. It was more because of you know rap videos and, and music videos where they used to say bling bling, so it was a thing, and they was just like relating me to if you know what I mean, like bling king. So I think it was a bit disrespectful at the time. Yeah, is that that's racism, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, you know what? I, I speak to because I'm on the other side now of like of football, and I, I speak to certain journalists. They 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 wouldn't say it's racism. They would just say the what's the, what's the word that they use? They say it's obviously prejudice, but they lazy journalism. They would call it. They're just jumping on a, a bandwagon. Do you know what I mean? If so to speak, they say well, it's not racist. It's like, but we just, you know, we, we thought he was young, cool. So, like, bling was in music videos and stuff like that. So that's what we just related to to, to that. But without thinking too much into it, you know what I mean. But they've got to do better than that. They have to do better than that because the way black people were perceived, you know what I mean, is well. Or as soon as they get money, it's only about cars and flashy things and stuff like that. So I didn't really, I didn't really like the tag, to be honest. Micah, you were at the Etihad, uh, the Burnley match, when the White Lives Matter banner was flown over. Yeah, I just, I seen, I seen it. And initially I thought it said Black Lives Matter. So I was actually, I was happy. I was, I was happy. I thought, oh, well in, you know what I mean? And then the gentleman, a couple of uh, seats down from me, actually said, did you see that? He was actually a black gentleman as well. He said, it said, uh, White Lives Matter. Uh, it's Burnley at the end. And it was, for me, it was just, it was, it was disheartening. The reason why I didn't get angry at, and I was just more disappointed because of what I've been through. Like a lot of people, you know, people see me on, on TV now and they the, the may or may not know me, but like that plane to me, there was nothing on that plane that was racist. White lives matter, of course I do. There's nothing. What I've been through growing up in, in Leeds in Chapel Town, that plane flying over was was nothing. So if that was ten years ago, I'd have been ten, fifteen years ago, I might have been shouting at the, the screen, you know, losing my temper and that sort of thing. But that's what they that's what they want to happen, you know what I mean? Like there's nothing wrong with saying white lives matter but the problem was now wasn't the time to say that we know white lives matter do you know what i mean but we're talking about equality for, for black people and people of race you know what i mean so i don't i didn't i didn't get it obviously i speak to a lot of, of my friends who are white and they all agree it was wrong i think a lot of people 
are scared to to talk about the matter because I don't want to say the the wrong thing. But if you see the people on the protests nowadays, um, a lot of them people are white people. So when you say do you think it's it's going to change? I think it has changed now or is changing. I think it'll take time, not in our lives, but yeah, I do. I actually do think it is changing. I do. I think the momentum has to be maintained, and I, and you know, it was it was you know great to see uh, the respect shown by all teams in the Premier League. The whole kneeling thing, I totally respect it, but I also respect someone's opinion if they don't want to do it as well. That doesn't make them a racist. You know what I mean? I don't think it's fair that black people just are quick to call people racist just because they don't agree with everything that they're saying. You know what I mean? And that's a, that's a, it's like my, my white friends are, are in that little bit who, of course they're not racist, but they feel uncomfortable. But at the same time, they don't want to be told to do something that, well, why am I going to do that if, if, I don't, if I don't think that way anyway? Do you know what I mean? I'm just totally, it's the people who, like the person who do the White Lives Matter, they're the, they're the people who are scary to me, you know what I mean? Because they're the people who are, are putting things in, in people's mind and trying to make this like a, a race war when, it, when it's not that. We're just saying the injustices for, for black people that have gone on, not just now, you know. You ask me, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get angry now. I, I, I said on, on TV the other day, I'd want to understand why people feel this way, you know what I mean? More, more more than anything because until I know how that person feels then I'm not going to be able to change anything or not me anyone's not going to be able to change anything yeah you can never make me understand 100% what it's like to be a black lad going up in Chapel Town and I can't understand what it's like to play for England if only I could right you know but mate you can educate people can't you you can and as I say it doesn't happen over one generation but uh the approach that you seem to be advocating or adopting is one of it isn't about force and it isn't about pressure. It's this gradual change. And I think that I think I having made lots of documentaries around the world on the said subject, I, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, I, I don't, you know, like there's so many leaders in, in the past and, you know, people keep quoting Malcolm X and stuff like that. And Malcolm X was a, a great man, you know, I've read a few of his, his well, scriptures off his books and stuff like that. And, but people are taking one word and running with it like violence, you know what I mean? And they just think, well, well, violence is not gonna change anything. Protection, of course, if someone doesn't need protection, that's in any, any walks of life, you're gonna protect yourself. But for me, you, you, you need peace and you need, you need to get to the, to the root of the problem, you know what I mean? And you need for white people to have these uncomfortable conversations. Because if you're brought up in a white area, and some, some of my friends, they've grown up. I've got a friend who lives in Crewe called Craig. And he'd never seen a black person until he went to uni. So for him, how can he be educated? You know, like... It, everyone's story is different you know what i mean and that's why you can't tarnish everyone with the with that brush yeah we all know what's end of the day everyone knows right from wrong we, we're totally on that but if you see someone it's the only first time in uni you're gonna be like 
oh, wow, wow, you know what I mean? Might at the time you might have seen someone on TV. It is going to be different. I think just education is, is so key, but it's, you know, the teachers as well and everyone being open to having that awkward conversation, no matter how awkward it may be. And don't be worried to say the wrong thing. You know what I mean? Because everyone's still learning about it. I don't know everything about race. I can only tell you about, I've, I've had police officers be racist to me in Chapel Town and say, you'll amount to nothing. You, you, you're effing black this. You know what I mean? I've had, it, I've had it all. You know what I mean? You went to Fiorentina, which you say was one of the happiest times you ever had. Tell me about Italy. Tell me about was it Florence, isn't it? One of the most beautiful cities. Yeah. On the what was it, it like? Was it was amazing. I think a lot of people quick to pass judgment about Italy. I know there's there's racism um, that that lives in Italy, no question, no doubt. But where I went in Florence, I didn't have nothing, and there was loads of other uh, races in in Florence, and it was just one of the most peaceful, beautiful even on nighttime entertaining places I've, I've ever been. And I've not felt more at home there than, than ever. You know what? People say, oh, well, England's not that racist. You've just got a few idiots. Do you know what I mean? But I was like, and then, and then, but then people would quickly say, oh, Italy's racist. I bet you got loads out. And I'm like, I didn't get one bit at all. It was just so amazing. The people was amazing. But I could only talk from my experiences. Like, I've been in Chapel Town, like I said. I've been racially abused many and many times, but by police officers. By police, I've been racially, you know what I mean? But I can't then say, oh, Italy's racist. I can only talk from, of my, yeah, I know what happens. I'm not going to be naive and say, oh, it doesn't, of course it happens. But my experience, I had, I had nothing, nothing at all. Was it the best time of your career? It was, in terms of, Man City was the best time of my career in terms of football and the, the, the people I was with, but, Florence made me open up my eyes a lot to way the way of life. Actually, you can still play football, but you can enjoy life. When I was in in England, it was just football, 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 football. Like can't do anything. They like you know have having like the night before games. They was having wine before games. I was like, is this is this not football? <laughs> it's the way I want to play football. They, <laughs> they're having like courses. They slowly, they slowly make their the dinner. They make everything is a is an effort. You know what I mean? They, they really take pride in what they do. And I'm just like, wow, what what a place this is! What a place this is! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I absolutely love it. Um, I see. I'm not a fan of the fascist side of it, but um, <laughs> uh, but but that, as you say, is 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 again. You know, there's elements of that in every place that I've ever been to in the world. It, Depends on on the people that you meet, I guess. But I'm, I'm, I'm just, uh, did you have any friends out there when you went there? Did you just just turn up with your with your suitcase? Literally just turned up with my suitcase. Uh, it was on transfer deadline day, so <clears throat> people who are not familiar with football, um, it was on a day where like the, this could be the last day of the of the transfer window if you're going to get a move to another team. And then I went there. This is this is where the agents get even richer than everybody else, right? On the stage. Yeah, this is where the agents make all the money. I got on a flight about eight o'clock from London, straight to Florence, two hour flight, no messing about. But because I had a problem with my knee, my medical was I didn't actually complete the medical till probably eleven o'clock at that night. You know, that we was actually happy with everything. I was worried that 
I think I think that at that time might be twelve o'clock or whatever it was. You had to sign a document by a certain time, whatever time it was. I was like a couple minutes beforehand before they was happy um, with everything. And then when I got there, I thought, oh my god, I've made a mistake here. What have I done? I've left an amazing club in Man City, somewhere I've been with fourteen. I only went on loan because I wasn't playing. I come back from an injury and Zabaleta had, had sort of made that position his own. And I, I didn't, you know, I played for all my life since I was 17. I didn't want to play second fiddle. You know what I mean? So I thought, let's go have an adventure. And then went there. And I was just like, I was, I was in my hotel by myself, suitcase. And I was just, what, what have I done here? What have I done? And then next day, you were training with a, like, it was an international break. So not all the squad was there. So international break, obviously players going to play for their their countries or whatnot. And there was only like seven players at the squad and we did a little bit of training and I was like, not really feeling this. And then luckily everyone came back. Marcus Alonso, who now plays for Chelsea, he spoke English. Uh, Mo Salah was there, who speaks English. As soon as they came, he came in the January Mo Salah. As soon as they came, I was just like, I don't ever want to leave. I've got my friends here. Family was coming over to... Uh, uh, enjoy the sun and I that was one of my biggest regrets after leaving Man City I should have stayed in, in, in Florence for a longer time I had a three-year deal after that year on the table but for some reason I just wanted to get back to the Premier League I spoke to Tim Sherwood who I'd loved as a player yeah I've met Tim nice man yeah he's a pro- proper proper guy and he was telling me about the plans he's going to do so I sort of bought into that and left Florence alone but yeah, I, I do regret leaving now, if I'm being totally honest. That that move to Aston Villa, was that the worst time in your career? That's the the lowest. I You know, people see me, I'm laughing and joking and this, that. And I'm the one who gets the, the changing room bouncing, whether people need advice, whether people want to laugh and joke. People come to me and just feed off my energy at Aston Villa house on fire started our first six months I was getting shouts for England Micah for England crowd singing it Stuart Pierce uh, not Stuart Pierce um, Tim Sherwood gets sacked to the manager after a string of bad results really um, the bringing Remy Gard and I I never ever slag managers off I never do because I, I don't think it's right it's not me but when he came in I knew he was going down straight away because he had no presence. He had no real leadership skills. He didn't, you know, he didn't motivate anybody to go out there and play. Like his training sessions were were average, you know, he just, we just knew then like we're not. And, and people would say, well, it's not up to the manager, it's up to the players. But ultimately you look to the manager for that bit of inspiration and he had, we didn't have none of it. So roll on now, we get relegated. I've still got my knee problems. Um, I need another operation, but I'm trying to mask it. I'm having, I probably had, <clears throat> I don't know, 10 injections in my knee. And then they do the thing where they drain, drain the fluid out. Yeah, oh, mate, yeah. You stick a needle in and just oh. the fluid. Fluid come off your knee, yeah. Yourself. Oh, yeah, mate, housemates. It's called housemates. It's like, it's like having a, a breast on your knee. It fills up, the sack fills up with fluid. They got to yes. the point where they just stick a needle in and it just leaks out into a kidney bowl, yeah? Oh. But, you can't, but you can't play. I mean, I, I was playing rugby, uh, you know, uh, like a, a, a minor division. You can't play Premier League football or division, exactly. division one football 
with anything like that, can you? You can't, and this is what I tried to, and you know, when I first retired, I, I came out and apologised to Villa fans for not seeing the best of me, but it, it wasn't for the want of trying. I really was trying. I was trying my hardest, so hard, but but when you're carrying, Michael, when you're carrying an injury like that and, and you say, yeah, you get to 60 minutes and you know that you are in pain and you are not performing to not only what your manager and what your crowd expects, what you expect of yourself. How disheartening is that? It's the worst. And it's, it's amazing you brought that, that point up because Steve Bruce gets a job a bit later down the line and he brings me in. I've been training, getting through training. You, you, you probably run about five, six, seven K in training between, you know, a day. But then on the, on the weekends, you do probably anywhere between 10 and a half to 12 and a half is probably average. And I was getting through training fine. Brings me on, play Wolves at home. Um, and, and after 60 minutes, you guess what? Me starts, starts swelling up. And just that was... For me, the toughest part because one, I had the fans turning against me. Two, like a manager would really give me a chance, but I couldn't give him what I wanted. And, and three, I was just doing damage to myself and I knew I couldn't get to the levels that I wanted to. I just knew really my career was over. But why it was so hard for me is because I feel like I was going into the changing room and I'd come from. Manchester City, England winning the Premier League to like I'm at Vaston Villa just taking money off the clubs and I feel like although the, the, the change room at Aston Villa didn't did not say it turned on me because we all had our, our friends and everyone respected what I'd done in the game but it just felt like I was useless in, in the dressing room. I was, I was travelling down, I'd moved back to Harrogate because I wasn't having to train every day. I was going in and I wasn't even allowed to train with the team. But I was saying, if I can't train with the team, then I can't train with... They're trying to make me train with the... Like the, like the, the it's called um, Elite Development Squad, EDS. I said, if I can't train... If I'm not fit enough to train with the first team, then I'm not fit enough to, uh, to train with the EDS. So I was coming down two hours, two and a half hours in the morning, driving down to do a 30 minutes, 40 minutes gym session. And that was it. And then off you pop, go home, wait for everyone to come back in because you get drug testers, make sure the drug tester don't need you and go and go back home. And I was just, it was so like, like from where I was, the, the highest of the high to coming in and driving in for a, a gym session where like people are looking at you. But you know, like you, 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 we've all felt that where, you know, someone's talking about you, but they, you, 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 can, you, you can feel they're talking about you. You can't hear them, but you know that they are. But then you, you come paranoid in your own head, like people are always talking about me. Or, and I just felt from, for coming this big figure, Man City England, to be this nobody for Aston Villa, when I've took injection after injection, I have literally um, d trained as hard as I possibly can, um, got my, my knee strength for as hard as, you know, trained with a physio called um, John, John at Aston Villa. And it was just not good enough. And people were saying all these bad things about me, but... Um, I can quote some of them to you. You want to hear them? Yes, they're, they're yes. They're not very nice. Uh, uh, virus, I think that's a nice one, particularly seeing as what we've just been through. Um, 
a money grabber and a virus, which is going to do a lot for your mental health when you're already sort of destroying yourself, you know, not only physically because of your knee, but also the question I want to ask you at that moment, was that, was that the toughest moment of your life getting through that period? Toughest moment of, of my life without doubt, because I, was, I, I felt useless. I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have a purpose in life, all from, even from Chapel Town, when that, you know, go back to the, the beginning when we were talking, from the guy getting hammering the hammer, to then having that focus thinking, I need to get out of this, I need to get out of this, and then someone take it away from you like that, but with no real, and then you've got the Aston Villa leaking stuff to the press, or he's just, he, 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 you know, like, horrible things about me, you know? I'm just like, this is not me. And I'm just, I, but I, di I didn't want to come out and say anything while I was at Aston Villa because I didn't want to expect the manager and any of my teammates. I didn't, I put them first instead of me. But ultimately, I should have put myself first. I really probably should, but it, I just felt low. There was times I would go in. I just used to get these crazy headaches all the time and they just never would go. You know, like when you, you're over, you know, like when you're at home at night and I don't know, and you just can't sleep. I used to have that constantly. It's like I'm there, but I'm actually not there. And I don't, I don't like to say the word depressed because I, I don't, I don't, I've got an, an auntie uh, uh, who suffers uh, mental health. So my feeling of depressed is, is that, and I didn't feel I was that. So then I thought, well, if she can deal with it for so many years, then I can get through this. I, I, can, I can get through this. And I just had, remember looking myself in the mirror. And you just have to, sometimes you just have to give your head a shake and say, look, like you didn't, people's opinions never used to matter to you. Now that you've be, been put on a pedal stool, why do they all of them all of a sudden matter to you? They shouldn't matter to you anymore. Do what you originally did from the offset. Have your goals, have your mindset. Yeah, we all get knocked off and we all want this, but don't worry about everyone else. Worry about yourself. I had a, a very conversa uh, good conversation with my good friend. He's called Madge. And he said, how bad's your life? And he, just from one to 10. And I said, oh, I'm healthy. Got good kids, you know, family safe. And, and, and that's, that sort of thing. And he said, look at all these starving kids around the world. And that's not, not your problem, but just look at your life compared to them. And then that's when I could process and started putting stuff into perspective and think, actually, I can get out of this little bit of a rut that I'm in. And that from that conversation, I could I could see a little bit of daylight. You know what I mean? It was more, it was a lot of embarrassment as well. You know what I mean? Things like it's hard, it's so hard. I feel so sorry for the kids nowadays because you know the social media, like people, I don't know how to deal with it. I don't I really don't know how to deal with it. What would your advice be to uh, someone who is in exactly the same position as you now that's just He'd signed for one of the big top five clubs. He's, he's young. Do you stay clear of it? And can you stay clear of it? Because I tell you, not about you, but I've got really good mates that even though I stay clear of it, if it's really awful, they'll <laughs> ring me up and they'll go, oh, you should have heard what, you should have read what they said about you. Baldy, raisin face. Tosser. That's the worst thing. That's the worst thing as well. You can't get away from it, can you? No. You, no matter if you try. Do you not think clubs should be implementing if we're talking about that vast the vast sums of money that they're paying to keep that player healthy not only physically 
but mentally in order to be able to be at his peak, then surely they should be looking at ways of, 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 of people being trained how to overcome that kind of criticism, whether it's from the stands or whether it's, you know, on a laptop. Well, there is a lot of people using sports psychologists and, and that sort of thing. But ultimately, I think, especially when I was first coming through, it might have been a little bit different. People are warming to it a little bit more, but a lot of people thought like speaking out was, was weakness, you know what I mean? And a lot of people are scared to, to speak. You know, if you go speak to someone, everyone thinks, oh, what's up with him? You know what I mean? What, what's he got going on in his, in his life? You know what I mean? Everyone always automatically thinks negative, you know what I mean? So it's always been a little bit of a barrier with football because football is supposed to be big, strong lads, you know what I mean? So if they go see someone... That's weakness, right? Well, that's what I mean, it is. It, it, that's what, that, and that's the way football was, was brought up to us, like being strong or man up or you'll be all right, get on with it. All them sort of words were... But for, for, for a young player going to a big club, I, I, I would have social media for his platform and it can grow different opportunities. So, for, for instance, me, I've gone into the punditry. I think social media has worked to my advantage because people have been able to see my personality. So if you want it for that, but I would have someone manage it, you know, like management team, agent team or whatever, manage it for you and you not directly use it. So you're still getting the benefit of, you know, opportunities and that sort of thing, but you're not actually seeing everything, what everyone's saying, because no matter how good you are, you must get yourself, how good you are, you're always going to get someone who's going to be negative. There's always going to be 8% haters or some of something along that percentage, depending on how well, no matter how good you play or how badly you play, no one's always going to like you. That's exactly. just the fact of being in the public eye, I guess. Let's lighten it up a bit. You're, you're, working, you're working for Sky. So yeah, at the moment I'm working is this, this, can I swear now? <laughs> Say what you fucking like. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, fuck me. Everywhere, I'm, I'm, I'm fucking everywhere. <laughs> so I went, I'm, right. I didn't want to do punditry. I literally, BBC rang me when I re, when we retired and said, when you want to come and do a few shows with us? And I said, not really. After Villa, after Villa time, I didn't want to speak to anyone. So then they put me on and said, I'll just come and do a show or whatever. So then they give me a contract. They say, come on, you'll, you'll enjoy it. We love your personality. And then I did that. So I'm contracted to BBC. Then I do Sky, but I'm not uh, exclusive to Sky. So I can, I can do BBC and do Sky together. Then I've done BT as well. Then I do Premier League Productions. And I, do, I work for the FA as well. And I'm Manchester City ambassador. So. That, which I was going to ask you about. What, do, what does an ambassador do? So basically, Man City are a relatively... Uh, not gonna say new club, big club. Since they had takeover in 2008, Man Manchester's got so many uh, fans in Manchester and around the Cheshire area. But what they do, they're trying to build the fan base like throughout the world. So what we do, we go take the trophy around the Premier League, the FA Cup, the Women's uh, FA Cup, and the Women's League Cup as well. So we took four trophies round. All the fans get to come and see the trophies, take pictures of the trophies. All we do various events with their sponsors. Honestly, I went to Nigeria, I went to LA, I went to India. Where else did I go? Australia. It was just incredible. All these opportunities where 
I never would have got to go. And because I love City as well, because it's my team, like since I went to 14, like I just, I'm doing it with passion as well because I, I really know from where the club started to where it got to as well. So for me, it's just an ideal job, ideal. How different is the atmosphere when they're playing with no audience, with no crowd? It's crap. It's crap. You know, it makes <laughs> our job harder as a pundit because we've got to say something that normally, you know, you, you feed off the crowd, aren't yeah. you? But now it's awful. It's really awful. It, without fans, when fans just say, oh, will you pay your wages? You're nothing about the fans. They're actually right, mate. They're actually right. I've got one, question. I've got one last question for you. Uh, tell me about Stoke on a wet Tuesday night. Oh, my God. Stoke <laughs> on a wet... Oh, my... <laughs> You just give me oh, you give me nightmares. <laughs> Stoke is honestly one of the worst. The, the fans are so good there, the loudest place. And for some reason, we always used to get Stoke away when it was freezing cold, and all they did was just like foul you, kick you, punch you. Like you just you come out after the game and you just bruised like and I loved the physical battle but I used to hate going to Stoke. All the players were six foot. They had crouch. They had crouch. Peter Crouch <laughs> up top, just zinging the ball to him. All the centre halves are massive, but no. They when they was in the Premier League, by far the hardest place to go when they was on the on song. Tuesday wet night in Stoke, not a place to be. <laughs> Mate, absolutely fantastic. Thank you for your time, sir. No, thank you. Absolutely brilliant. Loved absolute honour. Absolute honour. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of The Kempcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate and review. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Kemp and on Instagram at Ross Kemp TV. This has been a freshwater and the chance of collective production. Thanks to the team and one fine play. And until the next episode, goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.